Well, good morning. It's, good morning. It's a joy to be with you again um, at St. John's. I love it when I can be here. I really, really do. And thank you for that hymn this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That is one of my favorites, and I haven't heard it in a long, long time, so it was just wonderful to hear that. If we haven't met yet, my name is Bill Gross, and I'm happy to be joined by my wife, Mary, right over here. Um, I'm a seminary student at the Institute of Lutheran Theology, and regarding that, I will appreciate your prayers as classes begin tomorrow. <laughs> it seems that we're all living lives that are going at a frenetic pace, that we can hardly catch up with ourselves, coming or going. So we're doing a short series entitled Margin, Leaving Room for God to Work. And today's message is subtitled, Margin for the Anxious. Now, I hope you can bear with me as, you go th as I go through this, because probably none of you have a problem with anxiety or worry at all, right? Nobody. I'm the only one, so just... We'll be reading from one of my favorite sections of Scripture, Matthew 6, verses 27 through 24. So if, if you can, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, there's one right in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible at all, please take that home as a gift because we really, really, really hope that you will be spending time in the Word. Our scripture is Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 through 34. <clears throat> can any one of you worry, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are people filled with worry, and every day we find new reasons. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, we might find a way to know you're with us, because you promise that you're with us always. And not only to know you're with us, but to be able to trust you. Because, Lord, it's only when we trust you with your will that we don't have to worry about our own. So we thank you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture comes from Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard of that, and as you may know, Jesus went up to the mountainside to teach his disciples 
and the crowd of people that were following them. This is the first of five lengthy teachings by Jesus, sometimes known as discourses, that Matthew records. If you happen to have a red-letter edition of the Bible, and I left mine right over there, I was going to put it up and show you, you'll find that chapters 5, 6, and 7 are solid red because they are Jesus' words the entire time. Well worth reading. If you've ever wondered where Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, which we'll be praying together just before Holy Communion, you'll find it here in the beginning of chapter 6. Well, you know that Pastor Tom and I are always urging you to spend regular time in prayer and reading Scripture. And if you're just beginning to do that or thinking about it, I often suggest the Gospel of John or John's letters. But the Gospel of Matthew is a great place to begin as well. Whatever you wherever you choose to begin reading the Bible, please do start. But your answer to this, however, is likely to be, I don't have the time. I'm overloaded already, which is why we're bringing you a short message on margin. It's something that we all need and few of us have. Dr. Richard Swenson, author of a book titled Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Resources to Overloaded Days, excuse me, Overloaded Lives, makes the contrast between margin and overloaded lives like this. How well do you identify with any of these? Overload is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Overload is fatigue. Margin is energy. Overload is red ink. Margin is black ink. Overload is anxiety. Margin is security. Overload is the disease of the 90s, he said, when his book was written. But overload is a disease that is still rampant in the 2020s. Margin is the cure. Dr. Swenson continues that margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. Space between breathing freely and suffocating. It is the leeway we once had between ourselves and our limits. Of course, if you're like me, that time when we had that leeway was a long time ago. How many of you feel exhausted? How many of you feel like you have some leeway? What do we do when we're overloaded with no margin? Well, of course, we worry. We're full of anxiety. And by the way, I'm using the words worry and anxiety the same way. Some English translations of the Bible translate the original Greek as do not be anxious, while others, including the New International Version that we read, translate the text as do not worry. It's the same. Because when we're anxious, we worry. And when we worry, we're anxious. But why do we worry? There's a, there are at least eight places in the New Testament where we are explicitly commanded with the exact words, do not worry. Three of them in the passages that we just read. 
And yet, we all still worry. What's going on? Well, Jesus had something to say about this while speaking to the crowds and to his disciples gathered on the mountain. There are at least three problems with worrying. The first one is that worry is futile. The very first verse that we read today is, can anyone of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the answer is no, of course. But the bigger point is that when we worry, we grind ourselves into an anxious pulp without improving anything. The worry comes because we don't have the strength or the ability to address the situation on our own. Because if we could, we wouldn't be worrying. And we haven't trusted God with it either. The second problem is that we worry about meeting our needs. And rightly so. Many of us are keenly aware of our responsibility for earning a living, putting a roof over our heads, having enough money for clothes, food, and everything else we need. And these worries become stratospheric when we lose our job or we can't make enough money or when things become more expensive. I don't mean to downplay the anxiety of situations like these because it's real and it's brutal. But I'm encouraged that God addressed some of these worries. He taught, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor and spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown tomorrow into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, asking, what shall we eat? And what shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And here's the best part. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Our Father in heaven knows that we need these things. And Jesus is asking us to trust him. But that's a mighty hard ask, isn't it? It's tough to trust God. Finally, we are pros at worrying about the future. Mark Twain had some interesting things to say about worry. He says, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never happened. And after that, he also said, worrying is paying interest on a debt you might not even owe. I don't know about you, but I've worried about a lot of things that I wouldn't have need to, but that's not all there is. Worrying is all you can do when you get that diagnosis. Or when you're experiencing what seems like financial ruin. In the midst of broken relationships or loss, there's nothing to do but worry. And sometimes it seems that nothing goes right. So can we do more than worry? Jesus urges us in verse 33 to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Therefore, in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, we all know that we worry a lot while Jesus tells us not to worry at all. So how do we turn off worry? The answer, according to our scripture today, is that we need to trust God. Oh, that's easy to say, right? And if you're like me, sometimes it's nearly impossible to do. So how do we trust God? Three things have helped me, and I hope they'll help you to trust God as well. The first is to lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, invest in your relationship with God. Spend time regularly confiding in him in prayer and reading scripture to learn his character and his ways. Here are some of the verses that have helped me. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is. Oh, I shouldn't do that. There your heart should be, will be also. Another one, Psalm 34, 8 and 9. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That right there. The Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. I have a lot of reassurance in those words. The Lord is good. And those who fear him lack nothing. However, I need to suggest something about that word fear. Fear isn't a very good motivator. And we can't trust God simply because we're afraid not to. So it's helpful to think of that fear as meaning to be in awe of God, not to be in trepidation of him. A magnificent, powerful God who fills us with awe and demonstrates his love for us might genuinely be a God we can trust. Another verse before I move on is, is one you've probably heard, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This verse is quoted a lot. You may have heard it. The caveat here is, that God's plans aren't always the same as our plans. That God's plans have, so far in my life, always turned out to be better than what I had in mind. A God who is trustworthy has our best interests in mind. And in verses like this one, he promises that he does. The second way that I found it easier to trust God is to experience his presence in the Lord's Supper. Christ is with us, in, with, and under the elements of bread and wine, body and blood, when we come to the table. The words that you'll hear, given for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins, shows us that God does forgive our sins and gives us life and salvation. 
Finally, remember your baptism. The waters of baptism are not simply plain water. Instead, they are enclosed in God's command and connected with God's word. It signifies that the old creature in us and all of its sins and evil desires dies. And a new person rises up, comes forth in repentance through Jesus Christ to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. In other words, we become a child of God. Now, if you've never been baptized or you wish to reaffirm your baptism, as Pastor Tom was just mentioning, you can be baptized if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This can be arranged whenever it would be most meaningful to you, but there is that opportunity coming up next week at the 125th anniversary celebration at Babe Man Park. So if you're interested in being baptized, please call the church office or talk to Pastor Tom. When I was much younger, trying to sort out what I should do in many areas of my life, I wanted to know what God's will would be. Over and over again, it seemed that I was directed to one verse, the one, one of them that we read today. And was it a Holy Spirit thing directing me there? I kind of think so. And that verse is the one I'll leave you with that you might call my life verse. Some people call their a certain verse of Scripture that has meant the most to them over their life, lifetime, their life verse. And this is mine, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I urge you to do just that. Trust God and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Because God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to rise up again, and for the forgiveness of your sins. God truly, truly loves you in an awesome way. Amen. Lord, you invited all who are weary to come to you for rest. Today, I come to you for that rest. I bring you the heavy burden of work, the tasks that are incomplete, the plans I want to keep thinking through, and the deadlines that are quickly approaching. I'm tempted to believe that my worth is in my accomplishments. Remind me that I am a valued child of God based on the work of Christ. And I'm tempted to believe that my security is in my possessions. Remind me of the greater and truer inheritance that is kept in heaven for me. And on this day of rest, help me to slow down. Calm my restless heart and anxious thoughts. And on this day of rest, help me to enjoy your creation, 
not as a tool for my productivity, but as a gift to delight in. And on this day of rest, above all else, help me to be aware of your presence with me. You are the one who created this world and placed me in it. And you are the one who said, it is finished. The work is complete. And you are the one who now invites me into the rest that Christ earned for me. So help me to enter that rest today.